Bandwidth for changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode cloud servers. Head to Linode.com slash changelog. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Rollbar. Move fast and fix things like we do here at Changelog. Check them out at Rollbar.com slash Changelog. Resolve your errors and minutes into deployable confidence. Catch your errors in your software before your users do. And if you're not using Rollbar yet or you haven't tried it yet, they want to give you $100 to donate to open source via Open Collective. And all you got to do is go to Rollbar.com slash Changelog, sign up, integrate Rollbar into your app. And once you do that, they'll give you $100 to donate to open source. Once again, rollbar.com slash changelog. Welcome to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the show at changelaw.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at JS Party FM. And now on to the show. My, oh my, we are here for a party and we are excited because we're always excited on JS Party, but especially today, have a couple of new panelists. Yeah, we have Div- <laughs> Divya Sasadaran and Emma Vedekin. Emma's joining us all the way across the pond. Divya joining us from Boston. Ladies, we're so happy to have you here. Yay! Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. We are going to dive into lots of interesting conversations today about JS, the web, books, all sorts of things. But first. I need to tell y'all about a raffle that we're doing. So, you know, we like to go to conferences and represent. The next conference we will be at is NodeConf Columbia. K-Ball will be representing JS Party there. That's on June 21st and 22nd in Medellin, Colombia. And our good friends there have been uh, so nice that they've donated a ticket for us to give away to one lucky listener. So here is how it works. There's two ways to enter. And in fact, I'm going to break the rules. I'm going to add a third way today because, hey, why not? So the first two ways is way one, you can rate or review JS Party in your podcast app of choice. You can do that up to 10 times. So feel free. Um, And we'd appreciate that. Of course, five star reviews only. If you're going to rate us like one star, we're going to give you a free ticket. Like something doesn't make sense there, but uh, please do that. Or you can share your favorite episode of the show on social media. You can do that as many times as you like, one entry per episode shared. And after you do that, you basically just take a screenshot, whether it's your review or your social media post, and email it to jsparty at changelog.com. That's how you enter. One lucky winter winner will get a free ticket to the conference. Does not cover flights and hotel, unfortunately, so that's still on you, but you get into the ticket, uh, into, the, into the conference gratis. The third way I'm adding right now, because let's face it, word of mouth is really the best way that people find out about podcasts. That's how I pretty much learn about all the podcasts that I like to listen to. So uh, a little bit of word of mouth entry. Think of a friend. Think of a person who could really benefit from this show. Send them an email and just refer the show to them. Uh, simply blind carbon copy JS party at changelog.com so we know that you sent it and that will be an entry as well. So uh, this goes on for the entire month of April. If you're listening live, that means you got a couple of weeks. If you're listening produced, that means time's about running out, so go ahead and get those entries in, and we are excited to 
give away that ticket. So thanks to our friends at NodeConf Columbia. We're very much looking forward to that show. Okay, with that out of the way, let's get to know our new panelists a little bit. Emma, we just had you on the changelog. It actually went live, published a few minutes ago. So uh, a bunch of our listeners will get to know you. So let's start with you, Divya. Uh, first of all, we're very excited to have you here. Thanks for joining us. And tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to in the JS slash web world. Yeah, so um, I'm Divya, as Jared mentioned. And I am currently a developer advocate at Netlify. Uh, Netlify is a cool product. If you haven't used it, uh, you should check it out. Um, and essentially what I do is I travel a lot, go to conferences, talk about Netlify, mostly about Vue, actually. Um, and Kval knows this because mm. I've gone to like multiple conferences um, and I've chatted people's ear off about Vue because I really like the framework. Um, and yeah, and, and in terms of like overall JavaScript landscape, I've worked on like a couple of open source projects. I think currently my focus is very much um, in the Vue ecosystem and that framework. So I'm kind of invested in that at the moment. Um, but yeah, like I bounce around quite a bit. So, What is it about Vue that you like so much? Um, I think the community is the hu a huge part of why I picked Vue. So I, I think it's, it's a very personal thing, like picking a framework. Sometimes it's the decision is made for you based on like the company that you work for and the technology that was already picked. Um, but for me, I had the privilege of kind of like being able to choose. So I did React in the past and then picked up Vue about two and some years ago. Um, and mainly because I really won the, I thought the community was really good. Um, and also I just really liked how, um, accessible like the documentation is so learning it mm. was really easy for me and i really enjoyed that and um and i also found that just like chatting with people on the core team was very easy so if you're just a developer who picks up a framework usually you're kind of far away from the actual core contributors um but i felt with you it's really easy for you to get to know people who actually work on Vue and they're more than happy to help you if you want to contribute or be an active like member of the community, whether that be educating, talking at conferences and so on. And so that kind of drew me in and I'm kind of hooked at the moment. So Hooked. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, good one. So very cool. Uh, definitely excited to have you on board and you may know Divya online as Short Div. Love that handle. Also, uh, as Robert Tables is mentioning in the chat room, both of you are on the Heroines of JavaScript card set, which is a, a very cool thing where you almost look like superheroes uh, as your avatars, which is a quite an honor, I'm sure. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah that that was a that was a really fun project that um, Jen Luber championed, and yeah. I, I'm I'm actually hoping more cards get made because I'm like it's currently a subset and I'm like there's so many more people, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, maybe we can do extension packs, which would be really neat. That would be a sweet idea. Very cool, Divya. Well, Emma, how about yourself? We uh, like I said, we have you on the change log. So if you want to go super deep into Emma, what Emma is up to, listen to that episode. We'll link it in the show notes. But uh, from your own mouth, uh, what are you up to in the web world and JavaScript? So, yeah. Hi, I'm Emma. Uh, and just a quick comment, Divya. I actually was just tweeting about Netlify and how great the the platform is today. So, like, super cool that you get nice. to work on it because I'm 
thrilled with, you know, the whole experience there. Um, so yeah, I, and I'm, I work at LogMeIn currently. I'm a UX, des- UX designer. Oh my gosh, it's late at night now. I'm a UX engineer, uh, which essentially is a hybrid software engineer. And I have some skill set uh, as like a UX in the UX world and the visual design world. But my primary function is like software engineering on the front end side. I also kind of created this little open source project called Coding Coach, where we are really trying to connect mentors and mentees globally and do it for free. So feel free to check that out as well. And what else am I doing? I'm doing lots of miscellaneous things. Um, But in my spare time, I am a proud cat mother, which you would know if you follow me on Twitter. I only tweet about cats and other things. Um, And yeah, you feel free to listen to my other podcasts. I don't want to hijack this episode but um yeah it's really nice to be back and uh i'm looking forward to chat with you both well one thing we didn't talk about on the change log was your your cat motherhood so maybe uh <laughs> expand on that tell us how okay many, you so got a lot of cats or- I, I wish i had a lot of cats um so i when i moved down to texas after i graduated college um for my first job i was already a kind of a crazy cat lady. Um, and then, so they had this thing called Kitty Palooza in Austin. And it was basically like you walk into a room full of kittens, which is like my, my biggest dream. <laughs> and you just get to go and like pick one. And you're like that one, I want that one. And you just take them home and like, it's beautiful. So I first adopted Luna, the all white cat that you see. And then I gave her a sister because I was traveling a lot at that point back and forth to Germany. So I got her a sister. And then when I moved over here, they, packed up their catnip and came with me. Very good. Very good. Well, K-Ball has posted into the chat room. By the way, if you're not listening live, hey, why don't you? We're at changelaw.com slash live. We record it every Thursday on the around the lunch hour U.S. times, as Emma mentioned, uh, late, quite late there in, in Germany. But um, we have a live chat room that we love to participate with. K-Ball has posted the Heroines of JavaScript trading card set. There's a pack of 20. So if you have no idea what we're talking about, click open the show notes. Check those out. Uh, they are very cool. It gets me thinking a little bit. I'm going to throw a curveball at y'all because I didn't put this in the document. So be ready. But uh, thinking about superheroes and JavaScript, first of all, it's very cool that we just have these concepts. I love kind of the crossovers and um, that idea. But there is something about programming and writing software, making websites, etc., that does give you a little bit of superpowers uh, in the sense of being able to accomplish a lot with a little. So a uh, uh, curveball question for each of you is what, what are some ways that software has benefited your life in a way that was almost like you have a superpower that other people do not have or that people wish they could do that thing? I know I've done a few things where to me it seems second nature and someone's like, how the heck? Because they don't have these superpowers that software affords to us. Any thoughts on things that you've done or software you've written or used that have uh, quote unquote given you superpowers? Yeah. So um, I think one thing software has provided me with is a large sense of empathy, um, both for mostly for users. Right. Um, So it's very easy to look at a piece of software and make assumptions about how we think people will interact with them, but everyone has a different life experience and we can't make these assumptions just because I use it one way doesn't mean it's intuitive for someone else. So I think bringing that sense of empathy into everything that I do, whether that's blogging or creating an accessible UI, um, 
you know, making sure your colors meet that color contrast, making sure that, you know, you can navigate a page with just a keyboard, those kind of things I think will make you a better person, but also a better programmer. Very good. Divya, how about yourself? I feel like mine is not as profound (laughs) 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 because mine, mine is mainly like, I think the ability to remove pop-ups from the web inspector. (laughs) Oh yes. It's like a skill that. that I found a lot of my friends and family are like, how did you know how to do that? And I'm like, it's just, um, and I've, I've tried to teach that skill, but it's been really, it's really hard for people to just like have the confidence to do that. So I tend to just like, if I'm, if I'm at like my parents' house or with friends and they're like, oh, these pop-ups, I'll be like, here, I'll, I'll help you with them. And that's like mm-hmm. kind of a skill I use a lot. So it's not, I mean, people do ask like, can you build me a website? But I feel like this particular skill <laughs> has been used like quite liberally. You want to so, uh, come hang out with my family? <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, like, I think I think all of us have the experience of being like the the de, de facto tech support for your mm-hmm. family if you're the technical person. Assuming no one else, like none of your siblings or any other extended family, knows how to use computers. Mm-hmm. So I have, yeah. In general, I'm usually the person that they're like, "Can you fix this?" Mm-hmm. And uh. It's, it's, this is unrelated, but related because, uh, my grandfather had like, you know, those slide projectors where you have like tiny slides and then you have this, this wheel that you have to like put the, and you have to, oh yeah and there's like the focal point and the light and various things. So old school. Yeah. So my grandfather, he's like in his nineties. So a, a lot of his photos are slides and he needed to buy a slide projector <laughs> to see them. And so he was like, hey, you're a technical person. Can you operate this? Oh. And I was like, I'm not, I'm technical, but not, that's a different, I mean, I figured it yeah. out, but uh, yeah. Let's see, you figured it out. That makes you the right person for the job. Yeah. Uh, related. So I, I used to teach intro to web development. I've probably told this story before. If you podcast for long enough, you've told all your stories, but here I go anyways. Uh, we would we would have the first couple of days of the course, the entire goal is just to get people excited and feel empowered and like think about the possibilities that they could do. And so the very first step that we would take is we'd say, okay, load up your favorite website and everybody would go to whatever site they like. And then we would show them the web inspector, the dev tools, and then we would find a div and we would hit the delete button. And then we would just delete, 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 delete. And just, I mean, that's the mind blowing moment. Like, holy cow, I have control over this thing. It's not, you know, take it as it is. It's, it's here's some content, here's some stuff. Now it's in your browser. It's under your control. And people like uh, you, Divya, where you show people how to delete a pop-up and their mind is blown. Uh, very much a mind blowing experience to those who just never had that exposure before to realize that they can do this. So. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely an eye opener. Yeah, I think also just going back to your question, just the, I, I mean, I don't know if this is unique to software, but as someone who's only done this, it's just the ability to problem solve that I find mm-hmm. has been applicable to so many different areas of my life. So like this example of working with gadgets, like just the the step-by-step process of like debugging can be applied to real world problems, um, which I've, which I've noticed, at least, I'm going to use my family as an example, 
But as the one <laughs> software engineer, I found that this is a unique thing that I have. Um, and I'm not sure if it's because of the trade or field that I'm in, um, or if it's like, you know, unique to being a software developer, but I found just the ability to, like the fact that I'm used to debugging and just being frustrated, yeah. <laughs> being frustrated about not knowing something and having to go through and churn to figure out the, the solution. Yeah, I think that's mm -hmm. the tenacity and determination. <laughs> like if anything, that's what like software taught me a little. Yeah. That reminds me of like, I was getting ready the other morning and I was like, how can I optimize like my morning routine so that I reduce the time, the runtime of this? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh gosh, I've reached like max nerdy at that point. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like when you go like biohacking and hacking your like routine and lifestyle, and, which yeah. I've done. It so happens. I totally understand. And I can't yeah. visit websites anymore without instantly forming opinions about bad user experience or like bad tech choices or how slowly it loads it's like a double-edged sword mm -hmm. yeah yeah i get laughed at for that because i'll be really? like yeah because someone will be like this restaurant's great and i'll go on their website and i'll be like their website's horrible yeah so like like alinea is one of the best restaurants in the u.s like and it's based in chicago and like their website is dreadful <laughs> I was like, I don't understand. Don't eat there. <laughs> yeah, but like, I think a ticket to get in is like five hundred dollars or something crazy that doesn't include mm. alcohol. But their website is dreadful. I was like, maybe they should use that money to uh, update that. <laughs> so it's a bit of a gift and a curse too, because yeah. on the curse side, and maybe this resonates. Maybe it's just me, but you know, when you're using a website and you submit a form and something goes wrong. I start troubleshooting on behalf yeah. of the website owner. I start thinking maybe the CDN is, you know, out of date. Maybe their JavaScript <laughs> errors. I'm going to see what's going on. Like, was it a client side validation? Did I enter it wrong? And I can't, I can't not think those things and just oh, use yeah. the web as it's designed. So I did that too. Like I had this like medical, so I moved to the, I moved to Germany, but like I still had outstanding medical bills because America. And so they kept emailing me like, you have an unpaid bill. And I keep trying to go into this patient portal and it would not load. I think it was probably the fact that I was now in Europe. It like refused to load. And I opened the console and it's just like a mass murder of red errors. And I, I sent them a screenshot. I go, if you want me to pay my bill, you fix your website. <laughs> it didn't sit kindly with them. I ended up paying it, but. Uh... <laughs> well, I felt good at the moment. Oh yeah, I did. This episode is brought to you by Linode, our cloud server of choice, and we're excited to share they've recently launched dedicated CPU instances. If you have build boxes, CI/CD, video encoding, machine learning, game servers, databases, data mining, or application servers that need to be full duty, 100% CPU all day, every day, then check out Linode's dedicated CPU instances. These instances are fully dedicated and shared with no one else, so there's no CPU steal or competing for these resources with other Linodes. Pricing is very competitive and starts out at 30 bucks a month. Learn more and get started at linode.com slash changelog. Again, linode.com slash changelog. All right, for the rest of the show, we thought it would be fun to talk about whatever it is that Divya and Emma would like to talk about, uh, kind of as our guests of honor, our new panelists, just 
open up conversation about things that you find interesting or important or just are at the top of mind and go from there. So we're going to start with Divya. What do you like to talk about today? Yeah, so one of the things that's top of mind for me always is uh, this, this idea of how to stay up to date with JavaScript and like the web. So I get asked this a lot. I talk about this a lot with people, just not formally, more informally in conversations. And that's like, there are times where I feel like I'm totally up to date and there are times where I'm not. And I'm, it, it's kind of this battle where you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what's happening. And someone is talking about like, for example, um, I'm still like super behind on the GraphQL and TypeScript train. <laughs> and I feel like, I feel like I must be a developer or something. There's always this sense of like FOMO, like, oh man, yes. I'm just not up to date with this. And I've been told so many times like, oh, GraphQL will like convert you from like traditional REST and TypeScript is the same. Like you can't go back to using, to not using types and so on. And yeah, and for me, like, it's, I have to always balance this ability, this, like, what I want to learn, what I have to learn, and, like, what I should learn. The, the should is kind of relative. It's like, the should is just whatever. It's basically yeah. what you want to learn. Um, yeah, so that's kind of, like, if anything, I always prioritize what I need to learn, like, because that's usually like your job requires it or something, a pressing project requires you to be up to speed on something. What you want to learn is like very much whatever time you have, um, which is, which like feeds into social time and family time and everything like that. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of like a battle of like, just like organize, like how to balance expectations and also make sure that you're not fully spending all of your time just doing development work because I think mm -hmm. this is a segue but for me it's really important to have a balance um, and because it makes me a better developer so if I'm always developing it makes me a shittier developer because I just burn out quickly mm -hmm. so yeah yeah that's like something that I think about no I fully agree with that because I know that there are people who can just sit there and you know, code for, you know, the, from the time they wake up until the time to go to sleep. Like my husband's a perfect, perfect example of that. But I personally, like I, my, my brain shuts off. I'm with you on that. And it's funny because GraphQL is one of those things that like I can fidget around with it in Gatsby because Gatsby uses it for like querying for blog posts and whatnot. But like ask me a GraphQL question and I, I just clam up like, you know, I have no idea. Like it's one of those skills too I've been meaning to learn for so long. But it's a good point. It's like how do you prioritize what's important? And also how do we determine what's important? Like is it just based off of like the publicity these uh, things are getting on the internet? It's kind of like, I don't know. It's hard. I'm over here nodding along. These are these are questions <laughs> and topics that we think about often and we're faced with them quite a bit around changelog because we are always helping other people keep up with the new things in the industry. So we 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 feel a FOMO. One of our old sayings is uh, we face our imposter syndrome so you don't have to because lots of times we're talking with people about uh, the new hotness and we don't feel like we know anything about it. And mm -hmm. so um at the end of the day, we do have to pick and choose because there's so much out there now. There's so much open source. There's so many different areas of interest in programming and software development that, yeah, you have to pick your battles and you have to decide, is this a fad or is this going to stick around? Like, is this a paradigm shift or just a, a fad? 
Yeah. And uh, lots of times procrastination can help you out there, which is one of my greatest skills is, yeah. <laughs> is putting things off because the thing about a fad is, you know, it stands for four a day. So fads come and go. And so sometimes the longevity and, and the, the perseverance of a particular idea or technology will eventually convince you that, okay, this is not, this is not going away. This is worth me investing my time in. Yeah. Um, besides that, my, my advice that I try to take is, is find a community of people that you respect in, in, in the space that are tracking it either closer than you are, or maybe are a little slightly more bleeding you edge you are in any particular area and then follow their lead. You know, don't feel like you have to forge all paths. You can, um, find people who are good at a certain thing and say, well, I'm going to follow this person because I, I trust their opinion. How do, how do y'all decide, Hey, GraphQL's it's time for me to go deep into it, or I'm going to pass on this framework or what, what are some of the decision-making techniques that you use to make these mm -hmm. kind of decisions? Yeah, I think uh, I had to be okay with the fact that I wasn't going to learn everything. Like it's like we're, we mm -hmm. live in that nonstop, what is it called an infinity pool where like every time you scroll up, there's something new coming out. And one of those things mm -hmm. for me was RxJS. Like I struggled so oh. hard to understand observables. Like I don't know. I mean, Ben Lesh offered to help and I was just like, no, like I'm unhelpable. Um, it was one of those <laughs> battles. I was like, I'm not going to beat myself up over it. I don't have a practical use case for it. So I you know, for right now, it's one of those things I'm choosing to let go. And you had also mentioned procrastination, which we hear that word and there's this negative connotation with like, oh, well, you're slacking mm -hmm. off. But when you procrastinate intentionally, you actually give your brain room to breathe and kind of sort out some of those like puzzles subconsciously about like, this is what I'm doing with my, my, um, my first talk that I'm giving in two weeks at React.js Girls London. Like I've created kind of a scaffold for it, but I'm intentionally procrastinating because like your brain will subconsciously work out some of these kinks in your mind. And when you actually sit down to work on something, it's a lot more clear. So in terms of like picking new things to learn, I struggle with this a lot because now that I'm in this role where I, I'm kind of self-directed with my learning, um, Mm -hmm. I find it really hard. Like I have a backlog of items that I'm like mediocre in skill set wise. And I'm like, well, which one do I prioritize first? And I wish I had a better answer than like, it kind of just depends on what I'm feeling because I never force myself to learn so, like something like I'm not mentally in a good state to be learning something or if I don't want to sit down and like learn a specific skill, like I won't force myself because I'll burn out. So it's kind of just like whatever I'm feeling at the moment, which is a terrible answer. <laughs> I do something similar too, um, which is that uh, I base it on how I feel because I think learning is very tied directly to like your mood, at least for me. And yeah. so if I'm in the right mood for learning and I'm open, then I learn much faster versus like when you hit a wall and you're trying to force yourself to do something, um, which is like, yeah, so there are times where I feel like I should know something. So like a couple of years ago, I was like, I should learn GraphQL. And then I kept mm -hmm. trying to learn it. And then this, mm -hmm. I think it, like just the, the schemas, like the queries, mutations, all of that, like I kept being like, this is weird. And it is because it's a huge shift from like traditional REST API. Um, and so, yeah, like I wasn't in the proper mindset for learning. And so like I learned nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Versus, and also I think it's, it's general excitement. So if I'm invested in a technology or if I feel like 
the reason for me to learn it is like valid, then I'll learn it. So for example, um, I've been like, I, I really like working on my own with um, like WebGL just for fun, just because I think it's like weird and interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult because graphics on the web is hard. Um, but at the same time, I think I was really keen on learning it just because I found so many use cases where I was like, oh, there's maps and there's data visualization and there's like animation. There's so many different use cases. And so because I saw direct application, I felt more compelled to learn that thing. And so like I picked up shaders, which is really hard. (laughs) But for some reason, like my ability to see how I applied it allowed me to kind of learn it quickly rather than, and I think this is my general approach to learning as well, which is I'm very much like a practical application type person, which is why like traditional like computer science degree, like I didn't do a traditional computer science degree. It didn't make sense for me because I can't just sit in a class and be told like, this is data structures without knowing why I'm learning it. Um, So I think for me, my learning is the reverse where I like see an actual application and then I learn like the actual theory behind it Um, and like dig deeper as I go. But, but again, it's all tied, like what Emma was saying to my general interest and whether I care. So if I'm Mm -hmm. like rest works for me and like, I don't see a point in me using GraphQL now, I'm not going to learn it. And it's the same with TypeScript. I'm like, I, I get, and I understand why people want types in JavaScript, but I was like, no, nah, the framework, I mean, JavaScript as a language right. doesn't have types and like, maybe that's great. And I, I kind of like it like that because um, I don't have to think too much. And, and also just like general comfort, because I think for me, it's, I try to balance productivity. So if I try to introduce too many new things and force myself to learn new things, then I'm not as productive, which means I'm more frustrated, which means I don't feel like I'm getting anything done. So um, if you can introduce new concepts like bit by bit, so if you're like, I already have a general way of working and I want to bring in this one new technology in, maybe RxJS is that, um, then I'm still working within a framework that I understand, but like there's this other piece on the side that I'm trying to learn. So it's not as difficult rather than being like, I'm going to learn, I'm going to learn Elm, which is one thing I actually did mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, a co- like, I think a couple months ago or something, because one of the internal projects at Netlify is built in Elm. It's, it's not something that we use like actively, but I was like, oh, I want to change something. And then I tried to learn Elm as a whole <laughs> and then failed. To, to make one change. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I just want this, this, El- this link to be highlighted when I hover over it. And, and then failed miserably because I didn't know what was happening. Well, I will, I will say I also haven't jumped on the type script train, but I have a different reason. I just want to make Nick Nisi mad, and so I just refuse to adopt <laughs> TypeScript, so, Nick, so Nick's mad at me. Yeah, I think Nick has, like, at one point talked my ear off about TypeScript. Maybe you should use it. <laughs> Pretty much anybody who knows Nick has had the talk. No, just kidding, Nick. Um, okay, similar topic, a little bit shifting gears. I want to pitch this back to you. This came up in the chat. When we talk about learning, investing in ourselves and our, our knowledge and you know, learning new technologies, the other side of that coin is the balance that you talked about, Divya, life balance, right? Um, that's why so many of these new job requirements in the software ecosystem aren't really the best because they 
require a certain amount of privilege or availability that some people lack because of their life circumstances, such as you must be doing open source in your mm-hmm. free time. You have to have a good, you know, portfolio of side projects. If you don't, if you don't code after work, then you don't care about software. Well, how do you balance the two? On one side, you want to learn and invest and advance both your personal career as well as the community and really the ecosystem of, of software that we work in. On the other side, we have lives. Mm-hmm. How do you maintain that balance? So for me, it's um, I time box myself. So I know, like I work remotely. Um, Netlify is based in San Francisco, and I'm so that's like Pacific time, and I want Eastern time in Boston. Um, and for me, it's really important to time box, like to be like I'm going to be working from these hours, and then not answer messages or do any work outside of those hours, just because I think. If you work remotely, it's really easy for you for work to bleed into your uh, your life, um, and especially if I'm working with such a it's three hours of a time difference. I'm sure Emma's time difference is crazier, um, <laughs> but but um, yeah, it's really easy for you to just like have work doing like to do work while you're having dinner and like not being engaged with or or not actually like investing in your social life, um, mm-hmm. which honestly. Like I've mentioned this earlier, but to me, it drives me insane if I don't have that balance because mm-hmm. I just, like Emma was mentioning, like I burn out as well because I'm like, I, I take the time, like similar to the procrastinating intentionally thing, um, I need the time out from work to, to be refreshed, to come back and be effective as a developer. And like yeah. sometimes... Yeah, so that means like not doing development things and doing other things, hanging out with friends, like just anything. Yeah, I love that. I, I, to the same tune, I love time boxing things because it's easy to let things, you know, creep up in scope, right? Uh, but if you kind of set that limit on yourself, it's a little bit easier. Plus, it's, it's almost like an internal challenge of like, can I accomplish this task in 30 or 45 minutes? But uh, yeah, you've got to disable notifications. Like, so last weekend, uh, I wanted to try this really fun experiment. And so I literally deleted everything off my phone, except for like the phone app, because I don't think you can actually delete that. And <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to delete everything. Uh and I am just going to try to knock out all these tasks that I have to do. And I'm not even kidding. Like my, pro- my productivity skyrocketed. Like this is going to sound like totally unbelievable. I finished three books, two of which I had already started, but I did read one in full. And I, what did I, I wrote two blog posts and I, I'm, I mean, like it was unbelievable. And I'm like, holy crap. Like I spend way too much time on the internet. This is like a legitimate problem. <laughs> um, in terms of work though. So I also work with people on the uh, West Coast. So it was like Santa Barbara time. And um, that's a, oh my gosh, nine hour time difference. And so we can often have meetings pretty late at night, like six or seven. And to compensate, like I'll make sure that I take time off, you know, I'll like leave work at four and like sign back on later. Like I, I don't overwork, um, you know, when I have late meetings. And uh, I had this great conversation with my boss the other day about uh, quality over quantity. So like, it used to be that people were, you know, signing in with timestamps and you were like literally signing in and signing out to track your hours. But now that people are are gravitating towards these salary jobs or they're becoming more prominent, um, like my mentality is you're not paying me for 40 hours of work necessarily. You're paying me to get my 
stuff done and to do it well. And if that takes me 32 or 35 hours, like I'll use the remaining time to develop my skills, right? So it's for me, it's about quality over quantity. This episode is brought to you by Manifold. Manifold is the easiest way for you to discover, buy, and manage the best developer services for your application, regardless of your cloud. Manifold is changing the way developers and cloud services work together, easily find, integrate, and share the best cloud services. And what's interesting is as you assemble your stack, you can organize your services into projects, then create and invite team members to collaborate via role-based access controls. And I love their hacker-friendly sign-up experience too. For example, if you're on a Mac, you can install the Manifold Manifold CLI via Homebrew, then run Manifold Signup to get started. It's so easy. Learn more and discover the best cloud services for your projects at manifold.co. Again, manifold.co. And we're back from a break. And I don't normally even reference the breaks, but I will say another pitch for the live show. We just had a great conversation during the break. Y'all missed it. No big deal. This is the official show, but the live show's fun. We had lots of fun in between times. But here we are back on the official party, and we're going to talk about what Emma wants to talk about. So Emma, pitching over you, uh, mm -hmm. your choice. What, what are we going to talk about next? We're going to talk books because this is what I spend my time on when I'm not being on the internet, when I'm not on the... I can't speak English anymore since moving to Europe. When I'm not on the internet, I read things. Um, <laughs> so we're talking books. Uh, we are okay. going to talk, uh, we can talk a little bit about some technical books that are useful, but I think that the ones that have really impacted my career and my self-growth have been not technical. And I uh -huh. think that as JavaScript developers, we can all benefit from a little bit of like career coaching. Um, so I want to start this out talking about habits and goals. So there's this whole concept of like, you have to have goals to succeed. You need to write your goals down to like make progress. And I was hardcore into this whole mindset. I had bought into it until today because I was listening to, <laughs> I was listening to Atomic, uh, what is it? Atomic Mindset. Oh my gosh. Now I am, I can't even remember the name. Atomic something, Atomic Habits. Oh, there we are. Um, I was listening to Atomic Habits today, a book I was skeptical about, and he had two great points that I would love to start this conversation with. Um, the first one being, instead of goals, focus on systems. And what that means is goals are the the end point. It's where you want to be after, you know, it's, it's like your holy grail. However, when we focus on that, we're not focusing on the steps it takes to achieve these things. So systems is the methods that you put in place to get where you need to be. So here's an example. So let's say I want to speak at a conference. That's my goal. Well, if that's my goal, like I haven't defined how I'm going to get there. So instead, let me focus on the systems, which is become knowledgeable in maybe like one, one or two specific areas that the world would be interested in learning about. Uh, and then the next step maybe is applying to things. And then maybe you talk to really renowned speakers and get, you know, tips for that. So instead of focusing on those, those uh, tangible checkbox things you can check off, focus on the steps it takes to get there and those 
goals will be achieved in the process. So that's the first thing. And the second thing that was so profound to me was this idea of habits. And um, we all know, you know, habits are the things that allow us to become more disciplined um, or potentially reach our goals or define our systems. Um, But this, he, he talked about changing your habits. And this is very hard to do, but the deepest way to change your habits is to change how you, um, your identity in a sense, or like change the way that you interact with the world. So he gave this example about smokers, someone who's trying to quit smoking. So the first person is offered a cigarette and they say, no, thanks. Like I'm trying to quit. The second person's offered a cigarette and says, thanks. I'm not a smoker. And that would it like blew my mind because it's like, oh my gosh, it's a mindset shift. So like when you're struggling with it to learn a concept, right? Instead of saying like, oh, I'm learning JavaScript or I'm learning how to code, it's like change your identity and say, no, I'm a programmer. Like, no, like I'm a JavaScript engineer. And like it'll change the way that you learn. I like that idea. I'm gonna give that a try. I have to think of a con a context in which I can try that out and then report back how it works. So then a, sy- a system is kind of just like, is it the action items in order for you to reach a goal? Yeah, I guess it, it's, it's kind of like more, and I had just started listening to this. And to be honest, I didn't like the word systems because I, I didn't feel like it properly encapsulated like the, the idea behind it. But yeah, I would say that instead of like one be all end all goal, it's kind of like the, the things that you're going mm-hmm. to change in your life to better, tra- you know, to put yourself on a better trajectory towards achieving it so focus on the path like the trajectory point yourself at those kind of uh point yourself in the in the position of the goal or the direction of the goal that's similar to um like okrs or objective and key results which is something that like i've been doing at work a lot which is just this idea of it's really easy for you to create a goal which is like for example if you're working at a company um you're like, I want to, or, or you're, let's give it an example of a blog. So that's easier. <laughs> so you have a blog and you're like, I want to, whatever, like, I want this blog to be super popular, uh, which is like a general goal. Or if I want to grow the traffic mm-hmm. by like 25% or something, mm. that's a general goal, but like, that doesn't give you steps in terms of how to get there. Oh. And so like, the idea of like, objectives and key results is just like, trying to pin down specifically what you want, like the, the various things to do in order to get to that goal. Yeah. So I like think- being as granular as possible, which I think is similar to like this idea of systems, but systems seems like you said like that mindset shift where you, you kind of position yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think I see this all the time. I've seen people, I don't know about you, Divya, but like people on the the internet will say, I want to gain this many followers by this date. And I'm like, no, you have it all wrong. Like, because when you focus on numbers, whether that's followers, whether that's losing weight, you set yourself up for failure and just not necessarily failure, but disappointment in the long term, right? You'll reach those milestones and then like you're just unfulfilled by the end of it. When instead you should start with why. And this is another great book I recommend by Simon Sinek. Start with why. Why do you want to do these things? Like, why do I want to gain followers? Well, I want to share my blog post knowledge with the world and focus on that, right? Write blogs that you're passionate about and find topics you enjoy. And that's your why. And the followers will come in response. But like, don't start with the data or like, don't start with wanting mm-hmm. followers. So that's a, that's a really, that's a great point because I found, um, and that's something I, like, I think this is for everyone. 
So like every year at the beginning of the year, everyone is like, I want to do these things. And then you, yeah. and then you never really achieve them. And mm. like, I've been doing similar and reading about like how exactly to be motivated, how to be motivated, how to change habits and so on. And a lot mm. of it has to do with like your reasoning behind it. Because I think on a subconscious level, if you don't care, you won't, you, you will convince yourself and find excuses to not do the thing. But mm-hmm. if, if you make, if you really nail down the core reason to why you want to do something, and then that becomes your belief, like a core belief of like, this is something I really want, then, then that's like already most of the motivation for you to do something. Yeah. So like, yeah. I think too, uh, going back to this discussion about what it means to be great, um, I I think it, the book is called The Outliers, and they discuss mm-hmm. the fact that these people who are typically deemed great, like there's a, a plethora of failures. What we what we quote unquote would say are failures, um, not necessarily bad things, but they're learning experiences, and they teach you how to find the right trajectory. But mm-hmm. we only see the, what, 1% or 2% of things that become notable in the world. And so if you're struggling to learn programming or, like, you're having this imposter syndrome, everyone that you look up to in the industry, in the world, in history have gone through these these trial and error type of things. And, you know, they've come out the other end. And there's no reason you can't do that as well. That's the one where he talks about, like, the 10,000-hour 10, 10, rule or something. Mm-hmm. I think so, like yeah. You have, you have to put in that many hours in order to reach expertise. And like without yeah. those hours, yeah. So that's why I'm good at debugging now. <laughs> Spent ten thousand hours on my crappy code. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, any other books on your mind? I have a a book topic that isn't a specific book, but I, I have to bring it up. But I will. Emma, if you have other books you want to talk about specifically that you've been enjoying lately, or that you would recommend to folks, we can go there first before I do my little rant. There's one other one that I will recommend to anyone listening to this podcast, anyone who's an engineer or developer, specifically in the UI, right, um, is refactoring UI. I read this last weekend and I, it is one of the most incredible books I've ever read. It discusses the high level psychological reasons why we do certain things in the UI and the best practices. And the biggest, like the, the too long didn't read of this is most of us can look at a UI and be like, that's a great UI or that looks terrible, but we can't explain why. And this book uncovers Mm -hmm. those reasons behind why things don't look good or why they do look good. And it could just be a matter of like uh, padding or margin pixels or like a little bit of color tweaking. Um, I highly recommend that to any developer who's struggling with design or making UIs look great. So um, just a small plug for that. Uh, It, I couldn't recommend it enough, but now I am intrigued to hear what you were going to discuss. That I I just want to like plus one that because I think refactoring UI, that's like the Adam Wathan and Steve Sugar book, right? Mm. I forgot the author's names, but oh, it was incredible. It's It's the one you posted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's excellent just for a lot of people who are, who don't consider themselves designers or like don't actually know a lot and want to learn more i think it's such a great mm-hmm. yeah it's so it's so good i'm watching a lot of book recommendations flying into the chat room and this makes me have an idea we need some kind of a change log book club yeah thing i don't know what that would look like but that would be lots of oh, fun so we could all yes read please. a book and, and discuss. Like, a, like a goodreads 
Yeah. Goodreads for developers. Oh, I, exactly. I don't like Goodreads. Um, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> we'll start our own bookshelf. Well, let me tell you about this new thing that I've recently found. And I should preface this and say, these folks are not a sponsor. This is going to sound a lot like a sponsor read, but it's not. This is me actually just gushing to a certain degree. Uh, I want them as sponsors because I, I've been using their service for only a couple of weeks now, but I'm, I'm very much in love. And it is Blinkist. So Blinkist is a service for people like myself who would love to read lots of books and gets recommended lots of books. But going back to that life balance, I actually don't have the time to read the books. And I'm not going to make the time. I just know myself. Like uh, I've settled. I know I'm not going to read them. So this is a great service for books that you like to read, but you just know deep down you're never actually going to get around to it. It is an app and a website. It's a commercial service where they will read the books for you and break <laughs> down the books into summarized chunks. Now, I know for some book lovers, this is like anathema, but especially for nonfiction, especially for business books and for self-help style books where let's face it, a lot of these books have like one, maybe tops five mm -hmm. good ideas, right? In the book and the rest is, they had to meet their page minimum kind of stuff or stories. And, and that's all well and good. But takeaways, you can usually summarize a takeaway of a good book, a good business book with like, here are three things that will change your business or your life, but you didn't actually have to read the rest. So Blinkist is super cool because they will break down and they will actually write, they call them blinks and they read it and summarize it into maybe between eight and 12, what they call blinks, which are like two minute reads. And they'll also do it in audio. So you can listen to the summary of a book in about 15 minutes. And it's spectacular if you're a busy person like myself. And specifically for self-help and business books. I've, there's history on there as well. I have loaded up to read the Albert Einstein documentary from Walter Isaacson. Mm -hmm. I got a feeling it's not going to be the same for that because... A lot of the details about people's lives are the interesting part. Mm -hmm. So it kind of sucks some of the joy out of books, but it also just distills it down. Yeah. And I love it. I think that's really cool. And I think that's uh, great for people who don't have time. I personally am one of those people, like I have the Pokemon mentality of like, I got to read them all. And I have this like mm. internal like, you know, challenge with myself because I'm a little bit psychotic when it comes to reading things. Um, but I think it's a great alternative. Uh, I haven't used the service, um, but I'm definitely going to check it out now. That sounds really cool. Let me just lift off, list off the books that I've quote unquote read. This is one of the struggles. Like, what do you say about that book? I've, I've read it. I've, I've heard a summary of it. That's true. Um, so far I've gone with, uh, a book that I didn't read, <laughs> but that I know about. But since I've been on the service, which is like two weeks, uh, uh, Nassim Taleb's Skin in the Game, How to Win Friends and Influence People, mm -hmm. Never Split the Difference, which is all about negotiating, uh, Rich Dad, mm -hmm. Poor Dad, about real estate, yep. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, The Bully Pulpit, um, Anti-Fragile, another one by Taleb, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Blink. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a reader. I don't have time right. to read. But I got 15 minutes yeah. here or there. And so that's like seven books that I'm, I mean, sure, it'd be better to read these, but honestly, I'm just never going to do it yeah. and I can get some takeaways. Yeah. So it's cool. It's I a cool idea. I wish they did that, that with tech books. Oh, yeah. I'm like, please Those download this book to my brain. 
Textbooks go out of date really fast too, so you have to like read really fast. Can you imagine? Yeah. No, but imagine writing something like that, and it's like a thousand pages about I don't know JavaScript functional programming, or you know what I mean, like something mm-hmm. super highly technical. And then you, by the time you publish publish it, it's already depreciated, and it's like, oh, what have I done with my life? Yeah, totally. That's why I think Manning does the pre. Like, if you pay, you get to read specific chapters as you're writing them or something like that. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so so that way you can, like, update and. But, Jared, actually, similar to what you're talking about, that, what, what Blinkist, I think, is called, mm-hmm. r- reminds me a lot about, so I read this book um, called How to Talk About Books You Haven't Read. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> it's just kind of, like, weird. Is that, like, recursive like, book writing? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of strange. Did I you was actually like, read it, or are you just I, telling I did, us? I did, I did actually read it. Um, okay. Yeah, because it fascinated me. Because I came across it uh, like at one point, and then was like, I'll, I'll read it. Because it seems like kind of blasphemous to write a book <laughs> about not reading books. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> and um, it's it's kind of this idea of like I think it's a philosophical idea about books because you read a book, but then a lot of the times you don't like the book now lives in your memory of what the book is, rather than or like your interpretation of the ideas that the book talks about. And so when you talk about the book, you're kind of interpreting those ideas rather than like verbatim talking about what the book talks about. Yeah. And so it's just like, yeah, that's, it's this idea. That's a cool of, idea. I never thought about it like yeah. that. But it's true. It's especially like if you're reading like a fiction book and you picture characters in your mind to be one way. It's yeah. like, it's like this is probably why certain people like love or hate a book because it's all you know we experience it in relation to the things that we've experienced in our personal lives. That's so cool. Yeah, and and also I think he has a way of so I think he's like a professor of like writing or literature or something. Professor <laughs> and, of writing. Um, and and he has a way of demarcating like books in the sense that you were talking about, Jared, which is mm-hmm. he has this thing where he's like, SB's books I've skimmed, and then mm. FB's books I've forgotten about, and then <laughs> books I've heard about. So it's just like a way of you categorizing books in your brain, of being like, okay, because like a lot of the times, like there are, there are times where I've had full-on conversations with people about books I have not read, but I've just known about it because of like it's popular culture references or it's something that I've learned from like the Cliff Notes version or something. And like I think a lot of times mm-hmm. most people have not read books that they claim to have read. Mm. Probably. Because they're like, oh yeah, like this is what happens in the book. And then usually it's true because, you know like I've not read Catcher in the Rye, but I kinda know it's about and I probably yeah. will never read it. Um because it's more a book for like young adults and I think yeah. the author would just or the protagonist just irritates me because um, as an adult reading it, it's weird but anyway lots of thoughts on books mm-hmm. are there any books let's close on this uh, we talked about a couple Emma that you recommend these yeah. seem to be mostly around uh, productivity and really ideas and, and those things but specific software books oh, yeah. that are kind of must reads I will throw out a couple that I have read um, well, let me let me justify that. The second book I haven't read the entire thing, but I read enough to get the main thrust of it, which is uh, the first one's The Pragmatic Programmer, which is a spectacular book that uh, everyone would every developer would be well do well to read. The second one 
which is a classic. And this is the one that admittedly I'm actually looking at it on my bookshelf over there. And I read probably the first five or six chapters and I got the gist and I moved on, which is the mythical man month, which is a wow. book, which is spectacular and stands the test of time and can be summarized in a single sentence, which is nine pregnant women can't have a baby in one month. I love that. To software development. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I love that. I got to read that. Can you post that in the select build select? Because I'm going to add it to my shelf. Yeah, I have a couple. Um, You bet. I want to give a massive shout out to Kyle Simpson for his You Don't Know JavaScript series. He's known as Getify on Twitter. And he is one of the most prolific teachers I've found. He also has courses on front end masters. uh, So if you don't, enjoy reading like he he does the same content on that platform but all of his books are for free which is incredible uh if you can afford to donate to him please do because all his content is incredible he explains javascript in depth using analogies that resonate and it wasn't until he explained closures that i understood it so his you don't know javascript series is incredible there's also one, two more I want to recommend. One is uh, Professional JavaScript for Web Developers. This one's a, a quite a big book, and I've pieced through it, and I really enjoyed it. And the second one is more be- for beginners, I would say. It's called uh, JavaScript and jQuery. And um, I only read the JavaScript portions of it, but they have an HTML and CSS one as well. And they use the most beautiful images and graphics to explain concepts like CSS selectors, and whatnot. So the second book I recommend is uh, Professional JavaScript for Web Developers. It's a big book, um, but I read through pieces of it and I really enjoyed it. Um, But the third one is really beginner-oriented. It's called JavaScript and jQuery, Interactive Front-End Web Development. And I read the JavaScript pieces out of this, and I loved it um, because they use these beautiful graphics um, to explain concepts, Um, one being like scope and and event delegation. They also Mm -hmm. have one for HTML and CSS. So it's extremely beginner-friendly. Very good. Divya, how about yourself? So um, for me, one of the books that I come back to, which is kind of just the overarching, like, it talks about just like code quality and code in general is code complete. And it's a book, it's a book that I find myself coming back to very often. Just like when I think about the overarching philosophy of like decisions I make, just in a sense, I mean, it's, I think it uses like, it has like actual examples and so on, but there are some concepts that you can use across like whatever JavaScript framework or language that you're using. But I think it's just really interesting in terms of just like how to use specific software metaphors to explain ideas and like how to think about like systems. And I think I, I, I found it really useful. I've never read it cover to cover. I usually read it in sections where I'm like, oh, I want to read this particular section. Um, and then, yeah, because it is a long read, but it, I think it's available online for free. Yeah. I have one last one I want to slip in before I forget it. And it's Design Patterns by, oh, I can't say his name. It's Adi Osmani, I think. Uh, Highly recommend. He he mentioned putting out a new new, um, version of that with the updated, uh, you know, JavaScript. um, I can't even remember. ECMAScript version. Um, Highly recommend if you want to learn more about designing code in, you know, effective ways. Yeah. That was my, um, like, my go-to, like, Bible, so mm-hmm. to speak, when I wasn't using frameworks, just because if I was just doing things, like, vanilla style, and I wanted to create my own, like, 
because now I think most frameworks are pretty opinionated about the patterns and like the things that you use. But that book helped me explain like what exactly singleton was because I didn't like I didn't study computer science, so I was like I don't know what a singleton is, and uh. like I think that was like a very clear example of like because he explains what it is and then he shows you like a code sample of how exactly to implement the singleton pattern, which allowed me to understand what the singleton pattern was. And yeah, it's it's great. Very good. Well, we will link up all of these book recommendations as well as anything that we talked about that was relevant here on the show in the show notes. You know where those belong. That's our show for today. Hey, we hope you enjoy getting to know Emma and Divya. You'll be hearing a lot more from them in the not too distant future. Just want to remind you one last time to go ahead and try to enter for that free NodeConf Columbia ticket. If you are in the area or would like to visit Medellin, Colombia and hang out with K-Ball as well as a lot of awesome JavaScript developers, definitely enter. Three ways to enter. Rate or review the show in your podcast app of choice. Uh, share a favorite episode on social media or just email a friend and bccjsparty at changeout.com and that's how you will get entered. So uh, you have till the end of April to get that done. Please go out and uh, do that if you're interested. That's our show for this week. We hope you had a lot of fun. Next week, Henry Zhu will be joining us talking about Babel and all sorts of other things. He has a cool new podcast all about maintainers. So stay tuned for that. Uh, that's our show. We'll see you next time. Yay. Yay. All right. Thank you for tuning in to JS Party this week. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the shows. Head to changelaw.com slash community. And do us a favor. Share this show with a friend. We're just going to have a podcast. Go into Overcast and favorite it. And thank you to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. And we move fast to fix things around here at Changelaw because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. We're hosted on Leno Cloud Servers. Head to Leno.com slash Changelog. Check them out and support this show. Our music is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. And you can find more shows just like this at Changelog.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Because you've listened all the way to the end of the show, got a little preview here for you of our upcoming podcast called Brain Science. This podcast is for the curious and explores the inner workings of the human brain to understand behavior change, habit formation, mental health, and the human condition. This show is hosted by myself, Adam Stachowiak, and my good friend, Muriel Reese, a doctor in clinical psychology. It's brain science applied, not just how does the brain work, but how do we apply what we know about the brain to better our lives? Here we go. That applied brain science really stood out to me because I want I don't want it to just be data. I, I want you to go, how can this fit? What can I take away? Now how am I going to change? And that that sort of is where you come in more and even some of the questions like, so like I want to ask you, what are some of the most challenging things working in the tech world when it comes to relationships? Probably the most important one is isolation. It's more and more the world and companies are being, for good reasons, they're being okay with what they call distributed teams. Yeah. And that means that you and I, we work for the same company, but you work from your home office. I work from my home office. I might go into the office a couple of times a week if I live local, but even if right. I live in San Francisco, I'm still probably a remote worker, even though I can hop in an Uber or hop on, you know, the train or whatever and go into the office and be there in a half hour. But why waste the time? You know, and this is where I would revisit what I, what I want to talk about with resonance. 
And that whenever we're we're learning, no matter what thing, it's really helpful when we get feedback that's both immediate and specific. And so when you're by yourself and you don't have any in- interaction with other people, how can you get any feedback? I mean, you're losing most of the nonverbal communication and you also don't have um, all of the voice inflections or facial expression. Have you ever tried to, you know, be sad, feel sad, and smile at the same time? Try it. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's pretty hard. Right, because facial expression is exactly what's involved when it comes to empathy, which is relationships. Uh, I was reading a research article recently, and it talked about, you know, how um, couples – who are together a really long time end up sort of looking like each other. Uh-huh. Ever heard that's <laughs> yeah. And so um, what they've looked at is when we actually empathize with other people, facial expression is really key within that. And so when you empathize with the partner you're with over and over and over again, your face begins to make the same creases and facial expression as it relates to where somebody else is emotionally. Wow. Right. So So that's, that's creepy. (laughs) Well, they've, again, this is sort of the hotbed when it comes to um, neuroscience these days is mirror neurons. And these mirror neurons are what are involved with empathy. And so mirroring, meaning I, I get another person's emotional world. And so one of the research um, studies looked at Botox. And what they found is that Botox, because it, it actually... Um, assists in paralyzing facial muscles. Right. But then, then you can't contort your face, so you don't get wrinkles. But actually, levels of empathy go down. Uh-uh. <laughs> right. Because your physical appearance can't reflect your inner appearance. You're, yeah, you got it. And so when you're working in these remote locations, it, it might facilitate better work or more focus, and it allows people to be distributed and to capitalize on the talents across the country, right? Yeah. Wow. So that see, that's like a treasure trove, in my opinion. <laughs> Talking about in a scientific way, you know, not just like, hey, this is my opinion yep. uh, about all the cons of that, because I think what we can do is still have remote work, but do it in more healthy ways. Because I'm, I'm fully, I mean, I've been self-employed remote worker since 2006. Now I'm a unique animal. I know, I know, I know that. My wife knows that. Right. And I'm fine with it. I'm a good human being, but I've got some flaws and I'm willing to accept and share those to some degree. And I think the problem is, is we just, we just lack more, maybe a more purposeful or intentional feedback loop. Yeah. Which I think is, is super important to being able to operate in this world in just good ways. I don't know. Healthy ways is probably the the best way to use in this show context is healthy ways. One of the things that's fundamental, I would say, to being human is change, right? And so sometimes people come in and are really key in our life for a period of time and then things change. Either we grow or they grow or they change in a different direction and then the relationship changes or that feedback loop gets modified in some way. That isn't always a bad thing. It's just going, my sense of choice actually is a critical component when it comes to feeling good about my life. If I feel like everything is sort of outside of me and I don't have any charge over it, like I didn't choose to work (laughs) in a more remote location or I didn't choose to go to school or I didn't choose this person, 
then it feels far more oppressive as opposed to I actually participated in the outcome that I'm actually experiencing. So I then also have more charge over whether or not I want to change it. I think this uh, feedback loop process that we're talking about here is, is super common to, to developers, you know, from people who write code to people who plan and to engineer and to uh, manage and lead. Like there's no one in the software process that doesn't understand the, the feedback loop. And the reason, the reason why is because in product development, they, they have this concept of agile and basically it means you produce something, you put it out there and you expect the feedback loop to happen in order to gain insights and course correction to then release another version of it that, that continually and iteratively becomes more and more improved. So this whole process in day-to-day work in software is normal. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting how it's going to apply to their lives and people's lives, you know, to take the same importance of a feedback loop, for example, and apply it. Right. Well, so this is very much how it goes in relationship, which is why there is an importance when it comes to sort of things resonating. You ever walk into a room or an interaction with a couple other people and like something just feels wonky or off? You're like, I can't put my finger on it. But Definitely been there. <laughs> right. Well, and so to be able to identify that in relationships and even go, wow, I need to, I'm experiencing this person in my world with the limited interactions that I have with them. It hasn't really resonated with me. And so I don't get good feedback. So now I'm going to be more defensive because I feel as though there's a threat. It doesn't necessarily mean the person is threatening. However, my brain is going to tell me, hey, we need to be more protective. We need to do some strategies so that you're not fully exposed. You know, one way I look at scenarios like this, uh, I would say as of late, is because have you ever watched a TV show or a movie where the, you know, the narration, the storytelling part of it, they expose a character in a certain light and you may dislike that. They may be a villain or villainess, right? Sure. But the moment they turn the story to their backstory and why they are the way they are or why they're acting the way they're acting. Yeah. You then kind of fall in love with them and you're almost rooting for them. Right. I feel like that's the same thing that happens day to day to our lives is that, you know, there are people who seem villainous or not for us, but we don't understand their backstory and why they are the way they are for us to have and employ that empathy that's required to have this, this dance, as you say, this iteration of relationship. You know, we, right. we just assume they are who they are and we project, you know, our worst fears onto them and they become right. true. Yes, you got it. This is why in the absence of, you know, a face, I, I don't really get to engage with people in the same sort of humanness that we are all in. And so you're exactly right. I, I mean, over and over and over again, because you can identify and go, oh, that's why they're harsh. Or, you know, I recently had an interaction I had shared with someone that I I was a competitive gymnastics coach for a number of years. And so somebody thought that my response to them when they were really struggling was kind of harsh, but they remembered that I had told them I was a coach for so long. And they're like, oh, this is just another side of her coming out right. and I'm not sure I prefer it, but I get it. And then it switched for their reaction because then they're like, oh, wait, we're on the same team. <laughs> She's not trying to like 
oppress me or fight back against me. She actually is helping me, trying to get me to where I want to go. My wife and I, we've learned this, this concept of goodwill, right? Yeah. I can take your feedback or your criticisms in a different light if, if I know that you have goodwill for me. Yep. Meaning that you're not trying to harm me, that you are for me, not against me. And sometimes change, as we all know, is painful and can be painful. So sometimes the necessary feedback and or criticism that can influence that change can also be painful. But I can accept it differently if I know that she or they or whomever is in the scenario with me has goodwill for me. You know, whereas if you know that they're not for you, then you obviously take it a whole different way. And that's that's an okay thing, but we often are, you know, in relationship with people that are giving us crucial feedback and we need to have that kind of that lens. Like it was significant in our marriage to understand, Hey, I know there are times when you give me feedback, I am not happy about it, but, but I know you have goodwill for me. So therefore I calm down. I listen. I, you know, I take that in and I process it, whatever, but I take it in a different way because I know that she's for me and not against me. Yep. One of the key things when it comes to change is a sense of openness and even relationally, like of going, I need to be able to see some how somebody else responds or how they're feeling as based on their perspective of what they're going through and not just my perspective of their perspective. And so this goodwill is like, I believe that we're on the same side and that you're not trying to make it harder for me. But so I can understand if I were sitting where you were sitting, had the background that you had, why you would have taken it in that way. And then I can provide an opportunity to clarify or create more connection, even when it doesn't feel good. And I I honestly think this is so much of what's missing in people's relationships if I look at relational interactions through uh, the notion of conditioning, wherein I get a sort of hit of dopamine, feel good feelings because I went to a person, I had a conversation that didn't necessarily feel good, but there was openness on both parties to hear one another's perspective, that it actually then reinforces like, oh, when I go and I have this exchange with people, I feel better. So now I'm going to go and engage with other people and get the feedback, even if I might not like the feedback, because now I'm buffered and I'm not alone in this and somebody else sees my world. That's a preview of Brain Science. If you love where we're going with this, send us an email to get on the list to be notified the very moment this show gets released. Email us at editors at changelaw.com. In the subject line, put in all caps, brain science with a couple bangs if you're really excited you can also subscribe to our master feed to get all of our shows in one single feed head to changelog.com master or search in your podcast app for changelog master you'll find it subscribe get all of our shows and even those that only hit the master feed again changelog.com master Thank you.